Let me begin by just saying a special word of thanks to Miss Kaya Gahin in uh, Seoul, Korea, who in this uh, video that we just saw, just, you just warmed my heart. Thank you for affirming and confirming the impact that uh, NBCC's ministry uh, is having on your life there in Korea and on the life of your family. And can I just thank you also for sharing our messages and our worship uh, services, gatherings with uh, tons of people that you love across Seoul, Korea. And to, to all of you who are watching us from Seoul, Korea today, can I just simply thank you for honoring us with your presence. We are delighted, just super delighted, that you are part of NBCC's uh, global community. Thank you so very much for being a regular part uh, of who we are. And to the rest of you who are joining us, some are joining us by way of our uh, NBCC website, others are joining through our app, and then there are still others watching vis-a-vis -vis Facebook. I just want to thank you for honoring us with your presence. It's a big deal. Uh, most of you are watching me on Sunday, but uh, I know that some of you are going to be watching this for the very first time midway through the week. Whenever it is, I want you to know this is a divine appointment. God has orchestrated your life so that you can have a, an encounter with this message. So I want to challenge you to lean in. And one more thing, uh, those of you who are watching us by way of um, Facebook, I want to ask something of you right now. I want to ask that you will go ahead and share this message with your Facebook friends. And I want you to, I want you to do it in this moment. Here's how to get it done. Number one, just click the share button. We're showing you there are two locations of the share buttons there on Facebook. And secondly, start a watch party. That's it. Your clicking the share button and starting a watch party can, can lead to somebody hearing this message among your family and friends and totally transform their destiny. So thank you so very much. Now, while you guys are doing that, let me just take a moment and say a word to my wife, Rhonda. Rhonda, I know you don't expect this, and so you're super surprised. So, hey, sweetheart, just lean in a little bit. Uh, most folk do not know that today is our 34th wedding anniversary. August the 2nd, 34 years ago, we looked at each other and said, I do. And that was one of the most incredible moments of my life. And it was the beginning of even greater moments to come. So I just want to thank you, sweetheart. You have been amazing. And first there's Jesus, and then there are the folk who raised me, and then there are you. And here's the deal. I am the man, the husband, the father. I'm the preacher, the pastor, the leader, the human being that I am because of you. Thank you for the gifts that you pour into my life daily. The brilliance of your mind, that rare and unique instinct that has uh, worked to help me make so many decisions over the years. Thank you for the comfort that comes to me because you're my best friend and for the ironclad confidence that I have in the world because of your unconditional love. 34 years and counting and you still amaze me. Happy anniversary. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for Rhonda. Thank you for giving her to me and me to her. I pray for those who are single, who are looking for their lifelong spouse and partner, 
Would you work supernaturally and make that happen? I pray for those who are married and they are struggling through a very difficult season in their marriage. God, would you bless uh, all of that struggle to give birth to a marriage that is very, that will be like what Rhonda and, uh, and I are experiencing now, which was also born out of a period of struggle and difficulty. You did it for us, do it for them. Now bless the rest of this teaching. Let it be transformational because I believe you have called this to be a divine, divinely appointed moment for all who are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right. Listen, on last weekend, we started a message called Catch Your Breath and Move Forward. And inside that message, I, I said, listen, this unprecedented pandemic, all of the social polarization, the, the struggle around uh, trying to win racial justice uh, on top of uh, people that we know and love getting sick and dying and all of the fear that that's generating, generated. This is an era that we're living through that is like none other in contemporary history. And as a result, I have said to you that this is a defining moment for the world. It's a defining moment uh, for God's people. It's a defining moment for you. The decisions that are going to be made now in this slice of history will have long-term ramifications for years to come. And I'm not just talking about decisions that other people are going to make. I'm talking about decisions that God is inviting you to make in this slice of history. If you don't get anything else from this, this message, I want you to get this. You and I, we could have been born, we could have uh, lived during any other era, but God has orchestrated this moment that we are alive now. That means that God has a divine purpose. He has a reason for your being alive. He has a reason for my being alive. He does not intend for you to suggest that you're powerless. He does not intend for you to acquiesce uh, to just what's going on around you. God has a divine purpose. He wants you to seek him out. He wants you to lean in and in this defining moment, be his person in this moment. Yeah, I said last weekend that we don't know what tomorrow will bring, but you can decide today that whatever tomorrow bring, you, brings, you will be God's person. This is your defining moment. So I can hear you ask, well, what is a defining moment? Listen, a defining moment is anytime you find yourself facing a set of decisions wherein the decision you make will have far-reaching consequences for your life. Let me illustrate. 35 years ago, Rhonda was a freshman at Gramlin State University, and I was in my first senior year. I was sitting under a tree, my face in my head, uh, because I had a romantic relationship that was just crumbling and falling apart. I was deeply depressed. And Rhonda was across the street, and she said that God whispered to her and said, that fellow over there, he's going to be your husband. Go speak to him. And she said she wrestled with God back and forth for about five moments. She didn't know. She was in the midst of her defining moment. 
ultimately she surrendered and she went across the street. She said to God, look, God, I'm just going to ask him one question. And God said, okay, one question. That's, that'll be sufficient. And she came over and I was, you know, in my depressed state. And she said, excuse me, sir, do you work for the Student Government Association? And I looked up and I saw a very attractive young lady and the last thing I wanted to be thinking about was an attractive young lady and so I started in on my spiel. I did work for the Student Government Association but midway my sentence, the Spirit of God fell upon me and I stopped. I didn't know I was in a defining moment. I got up and I walked over to Rhonda and I took her by her hand, softly set her down and I said, let me tell you about the Student Government Association. 11 months later, we were married. She was eight... Uh, she just turned 18. I was 21 years old. 34 years later, we're still married and celebrating God's blessing because we made the right decisions in God's defining moment. Oh, I pray that God will give you eyes to see, to recognize. Can somebody shout recognize? Can you, can you, can you chat it out uh, or type it out in the chat? Recognize. Oh, may God help you to recognize when you've stumbled into a defining moment. This is what the whole book of Esther is about. It's full of defining moments. For those of you joining us for the very first time, let me summarize her story very quickly. Uh, Esther's parents died at a very early age, young age for her. Her cousin Mordecai adopted her and raised her. And through uh, a series of events, Esther, this Jewish girl, ultimately became the queen of the Persian Empire. King Xerxes was the king. And uh, on one occasion, uh, Mordecai, who worked at the, with the officials at the king's gate, uh, decided uh, when the king's right-hand person, Hammond, came out, he required everybody to bow, but Mordecai de- decided that he would honor his faith, and his faith being a Jew, was, I will not treat anybody like God except God. So Mordecai refused to bow. He refused to compromise his faith. And again and again and again, this thing repeated itself. And so Haman became so upset that he decided that he didn't just want to kill Mordecai. He wanted to wipe out all the Jews because they all shared this faith. And so he talked the king in, in a kind of deceptive way, into issuing a decree to annihilate the Jews across the empire. And Mordecai discovers this and he gets word to Esther and he says to Esther uh, what I want to read right now, uh, which is really our kind of defining text uh, in chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, Just this, this second part of chapter 4, verse 14. Here's what he says. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. In other words, he said to Esther, listen. This is your defining moment. You can decide to risk your life and go before the king because that's what she was doing. If the king didn't invite you to come and you initiated, the law said that you could be killed. You can decide to risk your life and advocate for our people. Or you can decide to take, try to take the easy way out. But Esther, this is your defining moment. This is God's purpose for you in this slice of history. So here's the question that I want to raise. What is God asking of you in this defining moment? Now, in uh, chapter 4, verse 8, we get a clue. 
when Mordecai finds out what's really going on, uh, he uh, 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 sends a message to Esther through the eunuch that's, that's, that's kind of on her staff, Hetika. So here's what it says. Mordecai gave to Hezekiah a copy of the decree issued in Susha that called for the death of all the Jews. He also asked this, uh, her aid to, uh, he also asked her aid to direct her to go to the king. Here it is, watch this. To use her voice, beg for mercy, and plead for her people. You see, Mordecai was saying, Esther, God needs you to use your voice in this defining moment. Could it be that God is asking somebody listening to me to use your voice in this defining moment? One way that we use our voice is that we speak up for justice. Look what the writer of Proverbs says about speaking up for justice. He says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Is God challenging you to use your voice to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves? You know, this occurs in a variety of ways. Sometimes we're speaking up for those who can't speak up for themselves when we decide uh, to go to the doctor's appointments with an elder, elderly relative or friend. And we begin to advocate for them uh, with their doctor. Perhaps they're in the hospital. And we begin to advocate for their health care. We begin to wrestle and help them to fight with insurance people to make sure that they are treated fairly. This shows up in a variety of ways. I bet you know what, what I'm talking about in your life when I say that God is asking you to use your voice in this defining moment. Another way that God is asking us to use our voice is really pinpointed by Paul in the writing of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what he says. So encourage each other and build each other up uh, just as they were doing there in that community. How do you use your voice as it relates to people around you in your everyday affairs, right? How are you using your voice with your kids uh, that you may be having to homeschool? What, what, is, what is their regular encounter with you? How are you using your voice with your spouse or significant other? How are you using your voice with your colleagues? Here's the deal. Um, when people think about how... What you say to them when, when they interact with you? Are you normally the person who does the criticizing? Are you primarily the person who's always tearing people down and pointing out what's going wrong? Or are you using your voice to encourage people and to build people up? Perhaps God is saying to you in this defining moment, you can help change the course of your kids or change the course of the relationship that you're in if you simply change how you're using your voice. Now, here's an insight for you. Oftentimes, what we say out loud to others mirrors what we say to ourselves. It mirrors our self-talk. I love this notion of Scripture where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the insight. If you know how to love yourself, then you'll know how to love your neighbor. But if you don't know how to love yourself, then you don't really know how to love your neighbor. So here's the deal. As we think about using your voice, what, what does your self-talk look like? 
You know, we all talk to ourselves. Now, perhaps not all of us talk out loud like I do. I talk out loud. <laughs> My wife comes in the room and I'm talking out loud. She baby, are you talking to yourself? I said, well, I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> and that's true, I am. I'm thinking out loud. I'm processing out loud. You process in your head quietly. But all of us, and each of us, we have self-talk. So let me ask you, when you mess up, what do you say to yourself? What does your self-talk look like? Do you say, wow, man, how foolish you are, how stupid you are, I can't believe what a dummy you are. Is that your self-talk? When you run up against an obstacle, when a door does not open for you, what do you say to yourself? Oh, I shouldn't have ever tried it in the first place. I knew that this door would never open. I, I, I should have, I should, I'm, I'm just giving up. I'm quitting. Is that you? Is that your self-talk? What is your self-talk? What's your self-talk when, uh, when, when you wake up feeling unloved and lonely? Do you say, I'm not lovable, I'm not worth being on the planet? Do you know that some people have self-talked themselves into a suicide state? Could that be you? God is saying, he's challenging you to change how you use your voice. Come on. Let me model for you how I use my voice uh, because here's the deal. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Sometimes, come on now, you, you've got to build yourself up. In the chat room, can you just simply shout out, encourage yourself? Encourage yourself. Here's the deal. When I mess up, I remember that the psalmist declares that God's compassion for me is as great as a father's compassion for his kids. I remember that the psalmist declares that, that as far as the east is from the west, that is as far as God has moved uh, my sins from me, and that he remembers my frame, uh, that he knows my frame, and he remembers that I am but dust. In other words, that, that, that I'm a work in process. Can, 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 can those of you in, in the chat, can you, just, can you just simply say, I'm a work in process? You're a work in process. Yeah, God's word strengthens and blesses me. That's how I use my voice. Listen, when I run up against a big obstacle uh, uh, and, and I'm tempted to throw my hands up, I remember and say out loud God's promise that God is, is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or think or even imagine. Watch this. According to his power at work within me. And when I'm tempted to quit, I remember that God has given me some power. Come on. I've got the power. Can you say I've got the power? That God has given you the power to move ahead, not stop. God has given you the power to, to rise up and not allow yesterday's failure uh, to keep you down today and tomorrow. Who are you using your voice? Secondly, Mordecai's appeal to Esther was an appeal for Esther to use her influence, right? Can you say influence? Can you type influence? Now, for Esther, influence came in three forms. First of all, her influence came in the form of her position of power. She didn't have the same amount of power as the king had, but she had her own rim of power. She was queen. She was an executive leader. She was a part of the royal household. How is God challenging you to use your position of power? Maybe you are... Uh, you know, a leader in a, an executive in a corporate context. 
Maybe you're leading a nonprofit. Maybe you are a politician. Maybe you're a teacher. Come on, shaping the minds of, of the next generation. Maybe you're a police officer. How is God challenging you to use your position of power? One of the things that's been so inspiring to me uh, ever since the horrible death of Mr. George Floyd is I've seen police officers all across the country here in America use the power of their position in inspiring ways. I've seen police officers, beginning with police chief, taking a knee to demonstrate that they stand in solidarity against police brutality, particularly against people of color. I've seen police officers holding up signs that says police against uh, police brutality. I've seen other police officers join the marches and the protests, all finding different ways to use the power of their position in this defining moment. Is God talking to you about how you should be using the power of your position in this defining moment? Secondly, Esther's influence came through her proximity to power. She was not the king but she had access to the king. What about your proximity to power? You see, only the king can make the decision to reverse the decree that would ultimately save the Jewish people, but she had access to it. Maybe you don't have the decision-making power in this defining moment, but you've got access to her, to the one who does have the power. Right? You're on her staff. Come on. Uh, uh, you, can, you can get him on the phone. You can send a text to her. I'm reminded of a story in the last three months of my tenure as pastor of Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Some of the, a group of seniors came to me and said, Pastor, the street right outside of our church is, is a dangerous place. It's hard to get across to go to the shopping mall over there. And there have been tons of accidents. And, and the older people were just, were just afraid to cross the street. Now, they came to me. I, I didn't have the power to put up any stoplights, which is what they were asking for. But they knew that because of how God had worked through our church over 17 years, that, that he had positioned me in proximity to the one who had the power. That was the mayor. So I called up the late Thomas Menino, the mayor of Boston, and I shared with him uh, what these seniors said. He sent out a staff person, and, and those seniors met with him. And about a month later, we had two stoplights. Ten years later, whenever I go to Boston, I see those two stoplights up. And I'm so grateful. You see, I didn't have the power, but I had access to it. What about you? Are there some incidents and some accidents in life that you could help avoid if you would just simply use your access to power? Mm -hmm. Let me say one more thing as I'm on this question about the access to power. You know, in chapter 2, verse 10, here's what the scripture says. It says that Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. So even though she was Jewish, now queen of the Persian Empire, nobody knew it. Why would Mordecai direct Esther not to tell people about her nationality or family background, not let on that she's Jewish. Well, what Mordecai knew was that the moment that she exposed that she was Jewish, that she would initiate a fight. 
And, and what, what Mordecai was saying to her is, you know, you got to be thoughtful about when you expose that information because you have to pick the right fight. So as you listen to me talking about uh, how God is calling you to use your voice and calling you to use your influence is inside of a larger context where God is saying to somebody, make sure you pick the right fight. Now, here's an example. I've got colleagues that I love, that I deeply respect, who over the last several months have made the case that they ought to be able to open up their church buildings and have regular worship service. And not to do so is the government walking on their freedom of religion rights. And I say to them lovingly and respectfully, pick the right fight. You see, there may come a day that the government may walk on our freedom of religion uh, rights, and we all have to stand up. But that's not what's going on now. Okay? What's happening now is that we all should be closing our building and doing everything in our power to help save lives and stop the spread of COVID-19. It's critical. It's not just churches it's, or synagogues or mosques. It's, it's, it's shopping centers and office buildings. And the list goes on, right? And, and here's what I say to my colleagues, and I say this lovingly and respectfully. Let's not ask the people who, are, who, are, who we shepherd to demonstrate how much faith they have by showing up in a building in the middle of a global pandemic. No. Let us demonstrate how much faith we have by closing the buildings but continuing to do the work of the gospel across the country, the city, and across the world. Let us remember and prove and demonstrate that the church is not about buildings. It's people, guys. We know this, right? And so if Jesus can speak to 5,000 people and teach them without a building, come on now, or a microphone, and work miracles and explode the gospel, surely that same Jesus can help us extend the gospel and the message of the kingdom by using all of the ingenuities that we currently have now. I'm talking to an empty building, but at the same time, I'm looking to the camera and talking to people in Seoul, Korea. This is our defining moment. How should we use our influence? Well, it begins with picking the right fight. And lastly, Esther's influence was expressed through uh, her position of power, her proximity to power, and ultimately, it was also expressed through the position that she held in the king's heart, which she didn't even know until she took her risk. Now, let me just make this side point. I know we all have desires that we're pursuing, but here's the deal. When God makes his destiny, his purpose clear for our lives, go for it. You know why? Because always hidden in God's destiny is something greater than we could have ever imagined in our best desires. This was the case for Esther. She took a risk. She went before the king. He extended the scepter. And she began to, she invited the king and uh, Haman to two banquets where 
and the last banquet, she would reveal what was going on. But in her first encounter and her second encounter and in a third encounter, the king repeatedly said what I'm going to read here in chapter 7 too. He says, uh, it says on the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, please tell me what you want, Queen Esther. You see, what is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Esther did not, she didn't know she had it that good, that will. She had no idea. Until she pursued God's destiny at great personal risk. And she discovered she had all, that it contained way more than she could have dreamt of or even imagined. What about you? All right. This demonstrates the position that she had in her heart. In his heart. How are you using the position that you hold in people's hearts? Come on, some of you uh, young people, this is the moment because of the position you hold in your grandparents' heart that you can help them work through their struggles around race, right? Some of you grandparents who are watching your kids seemingly go astray uh, as it relates to faith, this is the moment because of the position that you hold in their hearts that you can begin not telling them what to do and what to believe, but just share with them what God has done in your life and what God has done over the decades in your life and give them an opportunity not to be persuaded, but to catch what has called you because the position that you hold in their hearts. Praise God. Let's see how this whole thing ends up. You know, verse 3, it says, uh, Then Queen Esther answered, If I found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant, she's about to reveal now who she is along with her people, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people, this is my request. For I and my people have been said, uh, been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. And she went on to tell the king the story. He was aghast, upset by what he heard. And the text says, so he asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he? The man who's dared to do such a thing. Of course, Haman is sitting right there beside him. And so the queen looks at Haman and she says, an adversary, an enemy, this vow, Haman. I can just see her pointing at him right there. And all of a sudden the table turns. Come on now. And the king ends up hanging Haman and setting the people free. Here's an insight. In this defining moment, you want to be so close to God that when life picks on you, when people picks on you, come on now, uh, uh, that they end up picking on God. And I remember when I was a kid, I was in elementary school and a couple of guys had, uh, was, had hemmed me in and the crowd had gathered around me. And uh, uh, my cousin, who was one year older than me, Lucinda, uh, she's now the, uh, has passed and gone on to live with the Lord. Uh, she showed up with a group of girls who were her friends. And she walked up and walked right into the middle of it. She said, wait a moment. She said, that's my cousin. She said, if you mess with him, you mess with me. Leave him alone. <laughs> that's how you want to be with God. Come on now. You want to be so close to God that when the enemy breaks out in your life, when trouble breaks out in your life, that the God of the universe who we know through Jesus steps forward and says, if you mess with her, if you mess with him, come on now, you're messing with me. That's what happened in this, this, this wonderful story of Augusta. 
The enemy fooled around and messed with Mordecai and messed with God's people. And God said, "Uh uh-uh, you're messing with me. And flipped the tables. What an amazing deal. Here's my last point. In order to fully take advantage of responding the way God would have you in defining moments, you know what? Come on. You got to know the gravity of the moment. You got to realize it. Here's how we know that Esther realized the gravity of the moment. Uh, She proceeded to pray and to fast. Here's what the scripture says. Watch it. It says she told Mordecai, she sent a message back to him when he asked her to intervene. She said, well, look, go and gather together all the Jews of Susan, fast for me. Sometimes you got to get some people to fast for you. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And then she says, my maids and I, we'll do the same. We're going to fast and pray too. That's how grave this situation is. That's how desperately I need to know what God wants me to do and how he wants me to do it. Then the text says, and then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Check her out. She's prepared to break the law, but she's not prepared to break the law to make a statement. She's prepared to break the law to help save millions of people's lives that are at risk. And she concluded, you know, this risk is so huge, but it's inside of God's purpose for my life. So if I die, I die. If I lose my job, I lose my job. If my, the person I love walks out on me because the stand that I've taken and the conviction that I've put forth, then so be it. But God has put it in my heart and I'm going to obey. Listen. On last weekend, my grand-aunt, my uh, mother-in-law uh, said to me, uh, as I was talking about decisions in defining moments, she says, well, how will people know what, what is God's decision for them in the moment? And I had two real quick responses. First of all, most times we do know. It's the decision that we don't want to make, right? <laughs> it's the sacrifice that we, 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 we don't want. It's the surrender of control that we don't want. It's the, it's the obedience that God is confident we don't want. And our flesh typically reacts against what God is calling us to do. Most times we know what God wants us to do. Most times, right? But Esther teaches us that ultimately in the finding moments, we use a different criteria. See, most of her life, Esther used this criteria, kind of what the way we do, right? Number one, if there was a decision, number one, it was about her. Number two, uh, perhaps she was thinking about how to affect Mordecai and others and then ultimately God. In this case, it was so incredibly important. She starts with prayer and fasting. God, what's your will? And then it's about others. What do I need to do to help try to save these people? And the last person she thinks about is her. You see this, the different criteria? In the finding moments, it's God, it's others, and it's you. That's where we're going to end today. Now, next week, I'm kicking off a brand new series called Hope in an Upside Down World. The first week is going to be about, you know, what do you do when your dreams are turned upside down? So make sure you don't miss it. But right now, I want to pray. I want to pray. Lord, thank you. I pray that you will grant courage to those who are listening to take the very next step in just a few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the deal. Uh, There's a connection card on the web and in the Facebook. I want to challenge you. Take a real serious look at it. I believe this can be your defining moment, a defining moment in this season. 
At the very top is, is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus, and there are some other options there. But I want you to go through the response to the message. And I hope that, I can, that the Holy Spirit will persuade you to check this response. I will seek God's direction in this defining moment. Now, if you check that, here's what I'm going to suggest you do. I want to encourage you to inaugurate just a, a season of prayer and fasting. There was a time we ought to be praying and fasting. It's now. You know, Jesus prayed and fasted for 40 days before he, he initiated his ministry and picked the, the 12 disciples. You know, Moses fasted for 40 days before he got the commandments. Here, asked to fast for three days. So look, any, anywhere between three and 40 days, I want to challenge you to make a commitment that you're going to be so desperate to find out what God wants you to do in this season that you will pray and fast. Let me tell you three things to consider. When Esther was praying and fasting, number one, she was asking for revelation, right? What should I do? Number two, she was asking for strength. I need the power to do it. And number three, she was asking for wisdom. How do I do it? Make that the focus. Now, for some, it's about giving up food or different types of food. For others, it's about giving up TV or social media. You figure it out. But open up some space and replace that time with prayer and seeking God. Now, if you have health issues, make sure you check with your doctors before you start giving up food. There's plenty of other things you can give up. And I will see you next week as you engage in the time of seeking God for the next step. God bless you. It's super great that you joined us today for worship and for the message. Thank you. Thank you so very much for doing that. Three real quick things. One, please be with us next weekend for my new series entitled Hope in an Upside Down World. Look, that first week... I'm going to be talking about what do you do when your dreams have been turned upside down. You don't want to miss it. Invite some friends and families to join along with you. Secondly, here's a reflection question I want you to think real long and hard about. What frightens you the most about saying yes to God? 